tell you what you're listening to. Welcome to Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio with Father Richard Simon. I'm here to answer your questions. Have a question? Give us a call. 1-888-914-9149. As any question you may have about the Lord, the faith, and the church, that's 1-888-914-9149. This is, in fact, a radio show called Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. Welcome. Welcome. Today's the Feast of Saints Timothy and Titus. It's also the Feast of St. Paula, which is my sister's name. She called me to remind me that. And oh, and also the mother of the voice in my head, the lovely Paula. So shout out to both of those lovely Paulas. But she helped St. Jerome translate the scriptures uh, into common Latin, the Vulgate. Uh, consulting the Septuagint and the Hebrew text. So Paula was a scholarly woman. There you go, as are the Paulas I know. That said, let us pray. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit. They shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Lord, you taught the hearts of the faithful. By the light of the Holy Spirit, grant us by that same spirit to have right judgment in all things, and evermore to rejoice in his comfort through Christ our Lord. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou amongst women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners now and at the hour of our death. Amen. St. Michael the Archangel, defend us in battle. Be our protection against the wickedness and snares of the devil. May God rebuke him, we humbly pray, and do thou, O Prince of the Heavenly Host, by the power of God, cast into hell Satan, and all the evil spirits who prowl about the world, seeking the ruin of souls. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, let's open the big book on the coffee table. Just a little, a brief recap about the life of St. Timothy and St. Titus. Timothy was uh, a native of Lystra, or maybe Derby, which were in Lyconia, which are in uh, Anatolia, which really means Turkey. Uh, so they were kind of uh, uh, central Turkey, um, and it was thoroughly Greek. Uh, but he was only, he was half Greek. His father was Greek, but his mother, Eunice, was... Uh, um, uh, was Jewish. And it's interesting, as was his grandmother, Lois, um, they were Jews. And uh, very interesting that uh, to this day, you're Jewish if your mother is Jewish, not if your father's Jewish. If your father is Jewish, but your mother non-Jewish, and they want to raise you Jewish, you have to undergo what's called a conversion, even as an infant, uh, which involves being circumcised and uh, all, uh, you know, actually a kind of baptism. So Timothy was Greek and Jewish, but he was very culturally Greek, one can imagine. And um, uh, the the uh, ultimately he was uh, circumcised as an adult. And the the um, uh, he was a companion and a collaborator with St. Paul. And he was with Paul in Corinth and, and just traveled with him. Um, so uh, Timothy was certainly jailed at least once 
during the, the writing of the New Testament, um, and that's implied by the author of the writing of Hebrews. Uh, so uh, the tradition is that uh, he he was a bishop of, of uh, Ephesus, and he died a, a martyr's death uh, in Ephesus because he tried to stop a procession in honor of the goddess Diana, and uh, they dragged him through the streets and stoned him to death at the age of 80. So that's that's Timothy. And then, of course, we have uh, St. Titus, who was also a collaborator of, uh, um, of St. Paul. Uh, he was originally from, um, uh, probably from, oh, where was he originally from? He was apparently from Crete, and he was sent back to be a bishop in Crete, as we see in the reading today, and he to organize the church in, in Crete. Um, and again, he was a, uh, a collaborator with St. Paul. So, uh, after Paul was released from his first imprisonment in Rome, he stopped in Crete to preach and, uh, he, he left Titus in Crete, which was his home island to, um, to organize the church there. So that's, those are the feasts of, of the people we're celebrating. And let's go to the actual reading. Hold on here. Oh, hold on. Where did I put it? Okay. We're going to, I'm going to kind of look at both of the, the, the first readings. There's a reading from second Timothy. Now, a lot of scholars say that, that, uh, uh, the letters of Timothy and Titus, uh, or the letters, the, the first, the, the, first, the two letters to, to, Timothy, they they reflect too organized a church uh, to to be authentically Pauline, and that's crazy. I, I believe this is Dr. Bergsma. I think Dr. Bergsma has a great argument about this that from the Dead Sea Scrolls that that uh, um, it was just assumed that that uh, these structures uh, that that are apparent in the first and second Timothy, uh, they, they couldn't possibly have been early uh, part of the early church because uh, they expected an imminent return of Jesus. So why bother to organize a church? Well, then we get the Dead Sea Scrolls, which have a very organized structure and talked about these apocalyptic uh, uh, foreshadowings too. So these structures that are mentioned um, by Paul uh, and seem to be indicated in these letters, uh, they already existed in Judaism. So that that idea that that the early Christians expected an imminent return of Christ, I'm not so sure all of them did. In fact, as I think reading Saint Paul's letter, First and Second Thessalonians, indicates that Paul said, "Don't don't jump the gun on this. You've got to live in the world. Christ will come when he comes." Uh, but that aside, even if they did expect an imminent return of Christ, doesn't mean they didn't organize things. They were very organized. I don't know if you've ever known Jews, but they're very liturgical and very organized. So uh, there you go. I, I believe that the letters uh, to Timothy are genuinely Pauline, and they would have reflected uh, Paul after his imprisonment, quite possibly, uh, with a much more developed sense of, of of what had happened, of theology and of, of the nature of Christ. So, all that said, um, first letters, Second uh, Timothy one one to eight, uh, it's just a, a a greeting, and and to me it's very encouraging. 
he's talking to Timothy, who has been given um, uh, a great assignment. Uh, He's young, but he's been given this great calling. And Paul is encouraging him in this stirred of flame, the the uh, um, the gift that was given you by the laying on of hands. Uh, this idea of the laying on of hands is is very Jewish. I think I've explained to you a number of times that priests were not ordained; they were consecrated or or, or initiated in their ministry, but they weren't ordained. You were uh, and, oh dear, then again with this. There are two words in the text of Scripture that are translated into English priest. One is presbyteros, from which the word priest derives, a Greek word, meaning an elder. And then there is, in Hebrew, a koan, which in Greek is hereos, and that in English is one who offers sacrifice. And both those words are translated into English as priest. I am an elder ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of elder. You, if you are not uh, a sharer in the sacrament of holy orders, in a certain sense, are ordained to the sacrificerhood of Christ in the order of the baptized. You're supposed to still lead a sacrificial life. But it's the elders, it's the, it's the bishop who presides at the liturgy, and if he's unavailable, he sends an elder, and that's me. All right. And believe me, I used to think it was funny calling me an elder when I was young. Well, I'm not young anymore, so now it's appropriate. Uh, These are interesting words uh, that uh, we haven't received a a spirit of timidity or reticence, hesitance. That's what uh, delia means, to hesitate. Like, when I say, um, that's hesitant. That's not the spirit we'll receive. But we've received a spirit of power. Uh, and that's, the word is dynamis, which, from which we get the word dynamite. It means miraculous power. We've received a spirit of miraculous power. That is an interesting thing because all of my Pentecostal friends talk about expectant faith, you know, expect miracles. And that's what dynamis is. It's a, it's a spirit of of of, of really expecting miracles. We expect miracles. This is that's a lot. I don't know if you expect miracles, but well, we're supposed to. So, that's the spirit we've received. And but it's not a gullible spirit. It's accompanied with sophronismo, which is kind of an odd thing. It means looking before you leap. Sophronismos. Uh, uh, the word is sophron, which means moderate, safe-minded, sensible. I think this is interesting because St. Paul is saying to Timothy, you've received a spirit of miracles, a spirit of, of miraculous power that is conditioned by reasonableness. In other words, you don't believe every spirit. St. Paul says elsewhere, discern the spirits. You know, there's a lot of people who, who, um, how do you put this delicately? They jump at, at the possibility of a miracle and are, I'll never, this is a good example. I will never forget, there was this big hubbub down at a church on the south side. The image of the Blessed Mother was weeping. Well, it turned out that it was a complete fraud, that, that a very clever, uh, 
maker of statues had made a statue that was that was filled with water and there were little pinpricks at the eyes and under the right uh, climactic conditions the the water that was in the statue would come out the eyes. Oh, it was a big deal. <laughs> I, I, I remember, oh dear, this is, I hope this isn't irreverent, but uh, the the Vietnamese community in the parish of which I was pastor had a great devotion. They're very devout people. They had a great devotion to um, the Blessed Mother. We had a statue of Our Lady of Fatima, and uh, <clears throat> the statue of Our Lady of Fatima was placed in a sort of pagoda that they had built. I thought, interesting, a Portuguese devotion to a Jewish girl in a Chinese pagoda. That's the Catholic Church for you. Well, I'm up in the sacristy, and there's this big hubbub down at this pagoda. They had put this dramatic lighting on, and the housekeeper, uh, a pious, pious woman, a wonderful woman, may she rest in peace, she ran into the sacristy and said, Father Simon, the statue of the Blessed Mother is weeping. And I thought, oh, no. <laughs> a pious soul that I am, I thought, oh, no. Because when a miracle happens in a church, the pastor doesn't get much sleep for the next few months. Well, pious person that I was, I went back and I looked, and there was a little bump in the plaster of the statue that was reflecting this new lighting, strangely. And so I went up and I scratched and said, just a piece of plaster. Oh, so all the people left, and the housekeeper never quite forgave me for that. She said, you stopped the Blessed Mother from weeping. And I said, Margarita, that's a good thing. Never mind. You know, that that we have a spirit of miracles, but it's a reasonable spirit. It isn't, oh, boy, it's a miracle. Don't ask any questions. It's a miracle. You should ask some questions. Because, you see, with all miracles, God is trying to say something. So I, I think that that's an interesting line from this. We didn't get a spirit of, of hesitation, but we got a spirit of miracle power conditioned with not being, not being a fool. Um, don't be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me a prisoner for his sake. But bear your share of the hardship for the gospel. And these are words that are most pertinent to us. Now let's go to the, there are two possible readings. This first one from 2 Timothy, the first chapter, the first verse and following. And then there's a reading that we could do if we wanted. Instead, from Titus, the, the epistle to Titus, from the first chapter, first verse of that epistle. And Paul says, a slave and apostle of Jesus Christ. Now, I explained the idea of Paul being an apostle. He wasn't one of the 12. He was one of the missionaries. And when we get down to the gospel, we'll see that. But he calls himself a doulos, a slave of God. And our Blessed Mother calls herself a slave of God. A Moses was a slave of God. The highest, the highest accolade you can get as a Christian is to be a slave of God. So this is... Um, I think an important thing. Uh, uh, for this reason, I left you in Crete. Uh, God doesn't lie, uh, does not lie. Promise before time began, who at the proper time revealed His word, grace and peace from God. For this reason, I left you in Crete, that you might set right whatever remains to be done, and appoint presbyters in every town, as I directed you. Now I mentioned earlier on that that elders, uh, the, the priests were not ordained, elders were. 
in the Jewish tradition, there were these two structures. There was a temple structure, and there was kind of a governmental structure that had elders in it. And if you read in, uh, is it the letter to the Trollians of St. Ignatius uh, of Antioch? But you read the letters of St. Ignatius of Antioch, and you read the early ordination prayers, the presbyterate was to be kind of an advisory, almost a legal uh, senate to the bishop. That That's the job. We think of them as kind of, well, you know, worker bees. And we are. St. Paul's saying, a slave of God, you're going to be a slave of God. But the idea is that the presbyterate participates in the governance of the church. That's the early Christian idea. It just is. For this reason, I left you in Crete that you might set right and appoint presbyters in every town. This idea of ordination with the laying on of hands is something that we get from the Jews and the their order of elders. So I just think that's kind of interesting. Let's look at the gospel quickly. I've, I've just talked so much about about the other readings because there is so much. Well, let's read this gospel, Mark 4 verse 26 and following with my strange translation of kingdom of God. Once again, oh no, here we go with the kingdom. Well, it's in the Bible. What am I going to do about it? It's, it's one of the central concepts of the New Testament and the Old Testament, really. The word kingdom, basileia, does, once again, does not refer to a political territory or a system of government so much as it refers to the character of the king. This, it, it, the word Basilea means royal nature or royalness. This is how it is with the royal nature of God. A man scatters seed on the land and he sleeps and it sprouts and go, grows. He doesn't know how. First the blade, the ear, then the full grain in the ear. In other words, this, this royal nature of God it starts small. It's not what you think. And then he goes to what shall I compare? The royal nature of God. It's like a mustard seed, the smallest of the seeds on the earth. But when it grows, it puts forth large branches. The birds of the sky can dwell in its shade. That that the uh, uh, this idea of a tree with birds was a very popular idea in the ancient world. The birds that took shelter in the in the tree, the tree was the, the emperor, the king, and the birds were client peoples who, who huddled about the king for protection. That was the idea. They, they often protected them out of everything they owned. But uh, that's an aside. Well, this idea is, is I think, a very important one, that, that this mustard seed, it's, it's tiny. What Jesus is saying is God's royal nature is small when it starts out. It grows, but it starts small. And I think that we need to really consider that, 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 that sometimes we want to make it too big. And the kingdom of God is a very small kingdom. It's right near you and, and all around you and within you. Uh, that, that it isn't like the royal nature of the royalty of the world. It's quite different. Now, there's one more thing I got to talk about. He spoke to them with many such parables. He spoke the word to them as they were able to understand it. Just a few days ago, we saw a reading that, that said, um, that was very confusing on the, on, on, on the 24th. Was that, uh, was that Wednesday or Tuesday? Um, I, we, we read in the gospel that very confusing section, uh, where 
the mystery of the kingdom of God has been granted to you. This is Mark, the fourth chapter, the first, well, around the fifth verse, uh, or maybe the tenth verse, I'm sorry. Uh, the, the, uh, um, <clears throat> the mystery of the kingdom of God, in other words, the secret of, of God's nature, has been granted to you, to those outside everything comes in parables, so that they may look and see but not perceive, and hear and listen but not understand, in order that they may not be converted and be forgiven. That sounds like Jesus is trying to hide the truth from the common man. Quite the opposite. He's quoting uh, Isaiah and quite possibly Jeremiah in that passage, reminding the disciples of what the Scripture says. And at the end of this discourse on parables, we see what he's doing here, what he's saying. He says, uh, with many such parables, he spoke the word to them as they were able to understand it. Without parables, he did not speak to them. But to his own disciples, he explained everything in private. In other words, he uses parables in order that they might hear it. He quotes saying, this is a, this is a people who don't hear well. That's why I'm using parables. And then he confirms, uh, the scripture confirms this at the end saying he spoke to them in parables as they were able to understand. His purpose in using parables was not to hide the truth, but to make it memorable and a little bit folksy, I suspect. So all that said, we're going to take a break. We will come back with letters and, uh, uh, the phones are open at 888-914-9149. Let me give you that line again. 888-914-9149 on our Catholic Order of Foresters line. Today we'd like to thank Tom, who's listening in Illinois, for donating his 1978 Slickcraft boat. You can join thousands of other listeners in donating old vehicles, trucks, boats, and RVs by visiting relevantradio.com slash car. That's relevantradio.com slash car. Walking into a oh by the way the phones are I I'm, I'm a little scattered today I remember walking into a store and just raining cats and dogs and and uh, I said to the young woman at the register so just kind of a generic American person boy this thing is no in the flood she said who I thought my gosh we really are ignorant of so everybody knows about no in the flood and may God have mercy on your soul that's what I wanted to say to this young woman but. Uh, you're really something that, that uh, biblical illiteracy uh, is not a good thing because even if you're not a religious person, our culture is built on the Bible. So the Tradition. phones are open. <laughs> Tradition. 888-914-9149. But let us go to letters. Okay. Let's see here. Click on that. Then click on this. All right, I'm clicking, I'm clicking. Oh, um, this is from Brett. I was explaining to older children slash teenagers how all the angels and saints in heaven are always singing praises to God and also are present at each Mass around the world during the consecration. The response was that this is not necessarily something they want to look forward to doing for eternity. Ugh. 
It does sound boring. I, I remember seeing a, a joke. There's this guy in heaven, and he's got his harp, and he's got his wings. And he says, the wings are not a surprise, but the webbed feet, those are... I, <laughs> I think that's pretty funny. Well, that does sound so boring, sitting around playing a harp. I don't even... I mean, I don't... I, I play a little guitar badly, but the harp? Father Branken, my classmate, beautiful harpist. He plays beautiful Irish, makes and plays Irish harps. Very talented fellow. Uh, but the, uh, um, especially considering he's half Italian. Moving along, the, the, uh, uh what's that about? Uh, has God got this ego thing? Praise me, worship me, I want to be worshiped. I never understood the idea of worship until, I was sitting on the steps of a church to which I was assigned, and it was the 4th of July, and we had a, a, a college-age volunteer who was doing work at the church, and a couple of them, and um, all of the Puerto Rican kids are lighting and throwing firecrackers down the church steps to celebrate our nation's independence. Of course, I would never do a thing like that, but I was sitting there, and uh, uh, there was this one girl... Uh, who just had a terrible crush. I forget how old she was. She was uh, she was a kid, had a terrible crush on this college-age kid who <laughs> didn't know she existed. And uh, she lit a firecracker and handed it to him as if it was a delicate rose. <laughs> he did a double take, and I did a double take. I think I still have ringing in my, in my right ear from that, but... Uh, um, he threw it in the nick of time, but the look on her face, it was a look of worship. I understand worship to worship is to fall in love. Uh, you know, the, the young bridegroom marries the young bride and, and there the moonlight is coming through the window and he looks at her because she quietly sleeps and she wakes up and says, what are you doing? Said, I'm just looking at you. It's kind of creepy, actually. No, I, I, I jest, I jest. To fall in love, that's what worship is. And why does God want us to worship him? Because he has fallen in love with us. That's what, and if your older teenagers don't understand what falling in love is like in the human sense, they're not going to understand worship. That's worship, to fall in love and to gaze at the beloved. You wish that moment would last forever and ever and ever. Just to behold the beloved as they are, nothing more. That's worship. And we will spend our eternity, God willing, we die in a state of grace. We will spend our eternity falling in love and never falling out of it that's heaven so you know it's not just tuning our harps it is it is singing songs of love for god and for all. i think when we enter into the love of god we will be able to perfectly love everyone so you know that 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 the uh, the scriptures talk about heaven as the marriage banquet and hell as the outer darkness where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So that's what that's what we're going to. We're not going to a harp concert. We're going to 
a wedding feast. So I hope that helps. Um, uh, so I don't think heaven's going to be boring at all. All right, moving along here. Let's see, what's this one? Oh, this is from Maria, who's kind of worried because she's looking at alternative health things and eating more fruits and vegetables and drinking more water. And uh, there's this cleansing method uh, that she's using for her teeth, having great results. Coconut oil and peppermint oil and spearmint and other types types of natural oils. Um, it's, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to help your gums and oral health. But anyway, this is Ayurvedic lifestyle. Is that Hindu and is that wrong? No, you can consume peppermint oil if you want. I, I personally would rather consume coffee, but, um, the, the, uh, uh, those things in essence, you know, are not evil, but, uh, stop short of any kind of philosophy or prayers. And, you know, we've had this discussion about yoga. Yoga means to yoke. Be very careful who you're yoked to. Stretching is a good thing. Uh, positions named after Hindu gods and invoking Hindu gods is not a good thing for us Christians. And uh, so consuming peppermint oil, good luck with that. But um, I can't recommend it. But on the other hand... Hmm. Okay, let's move along. Enough with the peppermint oil. Just don't say any of the weird prayers if they want you to. Let's see, where am I here? All right, let's go. Okay. This is kind of interesting. It's from John. Um, uh, could you explain the the meaning of these verses? The preparation having been thus made, the priests go into continually into the outer tent. I'm not sure what book this is taken from. I should have looked that up, but I suspect it is. Um, I don't know where he's getting this from, but it's it's actually kind of beautiful. Uh, performing their ritual duties, second the second tent only the uh, high priest goes the inner part of the tent of meeting, only once a year and not without taking blood, which he offers for himself. By this, the Holy Spirit indicates the way in which the sanctuary is not yet opened, as long as the outer tent is still standing. That's symbolic for the present age. According to this arrangement, gifts and sacrifices are offered, which cannot perfect the conscience of the worshiper. Uh, that is that from the letter to the Hebrews? I'm not quite sure, John. But the idea is that, that uh, when we live in this present world, we don't enter into the fullness of, of, of God's presence. Uh, God is present to us. Uh, well, God is present perfectly everywhere, but when our eyes are on the things of this world, it's it's distracting. So I think that that's an important thing um, to remember. Um, that that again, I love that song. Turn your eyes on Jesus. Look full in His wonderful face, and the things of this earth will be strangely dim. That's Hebrews the ninth chapter, I believe. Um, uh, the more we live in this world, the, I mean, the more that we're really invested in this world, the harder it is uh, uh, to focus on God. But in the context of Hebrews, the ninth chapter, what's going on is, um, let's see, I need to find that context. Hold on. Hold on. All right. Oh, I've got it here. I just... I, I want to find the context. 
Okay, let me get Hebrews 9. Because it's... What the author to the Hebrews... There, I'm, I'm, I've got it. Now, what the author to the Hebrews is talking about is the imperfection of the Old Covenant. Um, the, the First Covenant. Uh, this was an earthly sanctuary, and access to God was limited. Uh, and what he's saying in its context is that, that in Christ... The access is unlimited. I still think, though, that that to the degree that we're fixated on this all too visible world, uh, we're denied the awareness of the invisible world. That's uh, what prayer is. Okay, I just some thoughts on it. I hope that helps a little bit. Plenty of lines open. And where did I put this? Okay. Oh yeah, plenty of lines open at eight 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 nine one four nine one four nine. Um, we're going to take a break now and we will, uh, come back with a word of the day and then we'll take phone calls. 888-914-9149. We'll be right back. Father Simon Says on Relevant Radio. I'm a union man and I work only 16 hours a day. A union man only works eight hours a day. I belong to two unions. Looking for a new job? How about one that offers you opportunities for spiritual, social, and charitable growth? Our sponsor, the Catholic Order of Foresters, is hiring new agents today. Visit relevantradio.com slash Forrester, an Illinois life insurance society not available in all states. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and Well, that that song certainly applies to this idea of falling in love with God, and also of going into the inner, the inner sanctuary of the temple or the tent. Um, and it also has to do with the word of the day to which we will now go. If you look at the readings for the feast, the gospel for the feast, that's Luke 10, the first verse and following. Uh, I mentioned about the, the apostles and the gospel, you know, that there were lots of apostles. Paul is an apostle. He's not one of the twelve. All of the twelve were apostles, but not all of the apostles were members of the twelve. This always upsets people. It says, Luke appointed, uh, Luke, in the Gospel of Luke, the 10th chapter, the first verse, it says, The Lord Jesus appointed 72 other disciples, whom he sent ahead of him in pairs. In the Eastern Church, they call those the 72 apostles, because the verb here, whom he sent ahead of him, that word is apos, apostelin. Ap, in other words, he apostello. He, he apostled them. It just is the word to send out, to send on mission. And there's, I, I thought I saw the word here, and I, I, I can't find it. But they talk about the kerygma, that's a fancy schmancy word about for the gospel proclamation. But it comes from the word kerysso, uh, the verb kerysso, which means to to proclaim as a herald of the king. In other words, they're not just going out talking about stuff. They're they're proclaiming a message that comes from the king. 
So, but that's not those are that's not what I want for the word of the day. The what I'm interested in the word of the day here is, uh, um, where did I put it? Oh dear, I've lost the word of the day, and the train of my thought has become derailed. Let me see here. Oh, uh, yeah, there you go. In in the gospel for the feast day. Uh, the final uh, line, they translate, the kingdom of God is at hand for you. I wouldn't have translated it that way. I would have translated it this way, that it literally is, is the kingdom of God has drawn near upon you. In other words, remember my weird translation, God's very nature has drawn near to you. And that's, again, the person of Jesus. That Jesus, that we went out, Jesus is coming to visit you. And the kingdom of God, the royal nature of God, Jesus is the very visible image of the invisible God. He's what God is like. He's what the king of the universe is like. And he's He's drawing near to you. The kingdom of God, God's own nature, has drawn near to you. Us, we're nobody from nowhere. Yeah, but you're somebody from somewhere because... God loves you and is drawing near to you. All right, all that said, let's go to phone calls. Ahoy! Let us first go to Jaime. Jaime, what can I do for you? Hey, Father Simon. Good to talk to you. Um, Father Simon, in John, Gospel of John, Chapter 1, when it says that uh, the Word was with God and the Word was, uh, the Word was, um, in the beginning, the Word was uh, with God and the Word was God, Jehovah Witness put a God. I once heard that there was an argument in the Greek for that, even though we, I mean, we know that it's, it's not a separate God, but that there was something to be said in the Greek for it. Yes, yes, yes. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The problem is the. The is a funny way. Have you ever really, nobody ever thinks about articles. Uh, um, that what does an article do? You know, the articles, there's a definite article, the, and the indefinite article, a. A God. That's just lots of gods, he's one of them. Uh, then there's the God. What We don't say the God in English. We would say the God of our fathers, but we don't use, we commonly don't say that. I didn't understand the until I took Greek and compared it to German. In German, oddly enough, I think the article is like the Greek article in its sense. Let's look again at the obscure stuff, but hey, Jaime, you got to hear it. In English, we have an article that we never write down. It's the. The president is coming. The president? You mean the president? The the himself. Have you ever thought about that? We have an intensive article in English that we write just like the regular article, but we pronounce it strangely. The president himself. Huh? And it's not related to that other the, T-H-E-E, which means you. But the president was here. Or the pope himself. Have you ever thought about that? Well, that's kind of the sense of of the article uh, one of the uses of the article in German and in Greek. Um, I have a cousin, Frank, in Berlin. And when I would be talking about cousin Frank to a relative, in German I would say, der Frank, uh, the Frank. Uh, 
that means that's our Frank. That's a, not just any old Frank. That's our Frank. So that understanding that, let us look at the text. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God himself, was with the God. And God was the very word. The word the can be used as an intensifier. This is written by a Jew, John. And he would never have talked about one of many gods. That what he's saying is the exact opposite of what the Jehovah's Witnesses are saying. That the word was not, the word itself was with God himself. And God was the word. That's the point. That, that this isn't an extra God. This is, this is the very heart of God. And they also don't understand the use of the word word. The word is logos, which doesn't mean a grammatical structure, a little, you know, something you can spell with letters. The word logos means the reasonable heart of any, any, any topic, any study. We get logarithm, we get psychology, we get logic. All those words in English come from logos. It doesn't mean something you can spell with letters. The word logos means the reasonable heart the reasonable truth of of anything and so the very reason reason itself that you can almost translate word logos as reason itself in the beginning there was reason and reason itself was was with god himself and god was was reason itself that's what's being said and they don't really understand what they're reading does that make sense to you, John? Or Jaime? Yes, Jaime. You know, it does. It does, Father. Thank you. Um, it, it worried me when I heard a, a priest one time sure. say that, oh, no, they do have a, I mean, the reason they, they distorted it was because there was a little leeway there for that understanding. But uh, no, that makes perfect sense. That makes perfect yeah, I mean, sense. if you translate it, yeah, you read it in Greek, it's breathtaking that, that in the beginning was was reason itself, was the word. Well, if you think of the word, what does that mean? In the beginning, it was, you know, Einstein said about the universe, the amazing thing about the universe is that it can be understood. That's logos. That's reason. That the very existence of the universe is proof of the reasonableness of God. You know, that, that in the beginning, there was, there was reason. There was order. And order was with God and order was... Uh, reason and order were with God himself and, and, and God himself was, was, was reason was order. I, it, it makes much more sense. Doesn't it? I read there you go. Well, Hey, go on. he says that oh. uh, nature was created in such a way to be read by the human mind. And yeah. It, yeah. Just in a sense, so much sense. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Dr. Scott yeah. Hahn, a man uh, about a thousand times smarter than I am. I have had the privilege of meeting him and, <laughs> He's really smart. You're up there. You're up there, Father. Oh, I, 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 I once tried to impress Doctor Hahn with something that I knew, and he said, "Oh yeah, oh dear, you're never gonna, you're never gonna steal a march on Doctor Hahn intellectually. He's really brilliant." Well, thanks for calling in, Jaime. God bless, and I hope that helps. All right, let's. Thank you very much. All right, let's go to Amen. Let's go to Karen calling from Salem, Oregon. Uh, yes, I wanted to ask you about something because uh, in 1965, 
I became involved with the Catholic Church, although I had come from a Mm -hmm. strictly Protestant background. And I was encouraged to become a Catholic. I told the priest Mm -hmm. that there was quite a few things that I did not really believe that they believed, Mm -hmm. but he said that those things didn't matter, and he encouraged me to go ahead, which I did become a Catholic. But and uh-huh. I just tried to follow the rules the best I could for many years. But I was always walking a tightrope of in a, in a state of mm-hmm. grace, out of the state of grace. Never felt really secure. Finally, a few years ago, I became involved with some Protestant friends and started going to their church, and I fit right in. I I loved it. I felt that's where I belong. I agreed with their beliefs. And I love the old hymns from my childhood, but I've been scared because my Catholic friends say there's no salvation outside the Catholic Church. If you leave the Catholic Church, you're going to hell. Uh, I'd like to ask a priest, uh, what's really going to happen to me? Because they've urged me to go to confession and everything. I said, I don't feel this is a sin. I, you, it's not a sin that I need to confess. I think it, what I've done is right for me, but I'm also frightened. Do you have any thoughts oh, dear. on this? Oh, I do, I do. And, you know, I think, oh, dear, no one wants to get you to heaven more than God does. And, you know, that priest who urged you to become a Catholic uh, without your really understanding the truths of the faith made a big mistake. Um, I would urge you to, to, to uh, return to what Catholics call a state of grace and uh, and to confession because I, I don't know which flavor of Protestant you become, probably a non-denominational Protestant, but I, I've shared this experience before. I remember talking to the head of a, 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 a very important religious institute in Chicago uh, and talked about altar calls, you know, that in the Catholic Church occasionally we do altar calls. In fact, his communion is supposed to be an altar call. Every time you come up to the communion rail, you're giving your life to Christ. Um, and he said, oh, we don't do altar calls that much. I said, oh, why not? He said, because you might have a false assurance of salvation. I said, so you can have a false assurance of salvation? He said, oh, yes. I said, so then you can't be assured of your salvation. He said, oh, yes, you can be absolutely assured of your salvation. And I said, but it could be a false assurance. He said, yes. And I said, well, then you can't be assured of your salvation if it's possible to have a false assurance of salvation. He said, oh, no, no, no. You can be absolutely assured of your salvation. And I said, I understand. And I thought, thank God I'm a Catholic. I can go into a confessional, do my best to make a good confession and hear the words, I absolve you. In other words, I release you from your sins. And, and you know, that, that, um, the idea of the sacraments, we're a covenant church. We make a covenant with the Lord. So that's the word, the word sacrament means in Latin. It means oath to the death. And we have such a religion of feeling in, in America at the time. I, this is what I feel is good for me. Is this what the Lord has said is good for you? And, I, you know, I, you know, you can kind of have your cake and eat it, too. I would urge you to really, you know, I, I just feel for you because you the assurance of salvation that you were looking for, you haven't found in the Protestant church. It feels good. You like the hymns. I love a good Protestant prayer. I mean, they, those people can sing. I, I, I was in a Catholic church saying mass not long ago, and I knew there were a lot of people who had converted in the neighborhood from Methodism to Catholicism. And boy, they could sing. And I said, there must be a lot of ex-Protestants here because you guys are sure singing that, uh, you know, that there's so many wonderful things 
that, that are such a blessing in, in the various churches. But there aren't sacraments. There aren't those covenants with the Lord. And that 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 sacramental gift. I All I can do is urge you to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Make it clear to me. What do you want me to do? Not where I'm going to feel good, not where I'm going to feel uh, uh, your presence, but where I'm going to genuinely enter into your presence. All you can do is pray. And the Lord wants to get you to heaven. And I, I, I suspect that you love the Lord. And I kind of think you were kind of sold a bill of goods many years ago. <sighs> in the sincerity of your God looks at the sincerity of your heart. But on the other hand, you got to ask the question, Lord, what do you want? What do you want? Enough of what I want. I know that this nice church I go to, it's a wonderful fit and makes me feel really good, but I don't care if it makes me feel good. I want to know what's going to make you feel good. Lord. Remember the prayer of the believer is different than the prayer of the pagan. The prayer of the pagan is give me what I want. The prayer of the believer is teach me your ways. You know, uh, the sacrifice of the mass, uh, mass can be pretty boring. That's fine. Calvary was not that exciting either. Jesus didn't want to go to Calvary, but he went. So those are my thoughts. Karen, seek God on this. Ask God what he wants you to do. I can't tell you what to do. And I know that God wants you to go to heaven. But by the sincerity of your seeking God and his will for you, that's that's salvific. Um, that's the best I can do, Karen. So I will be praying for you. God bless you. Let's go to Iris from San Luis Obispo, California. Iris, are you with us? I'm with you, Father. Thank you Good. so much for your program. I listen every day. Love it. Oh, dear. So oh, well, <laughs> where's the salt shaker? Take it with a grain of salt. What can I do for you? I think I was. I wanted to respond to the caller that called in regarding to John. I believe one one. I was raised Jehovah's Witness. I've converted mm-hmm. about forty five years ago to Catholicism. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but they, I have still the original Jehovah's Witness Bible that yeah. they used, and it still states what are stated. They changed that sure. when people did realizing that Scripture confirmed the Trinity. It was yeah, changed. Yeah. So my Bible from the 70s and 80s still says what ours says. So I just thought that was important for him to know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, they, they're they big on that, but I, I, I know that... that uh, now, now are, are Jehovah's... Are, are Bibles published by Jehovah's Witness currently, do they use a God, or do they still just stick with was God? Well, I haven't been with the Jehovah's Witness for over 40 years. There you go. Well, there you go. <laughs> I only know that that's what it said in the Bible. It did, because I yeah. actually used it to show people that the Trinity, and then I realized, when people started saying it changed, I realized, oh, they realized that did confirm the Trinity, and they changed it. That might be. That might be. But, well, thanks for calling in, Iris. And, yeah, the Trinity makes perfect sense, because God is love. God is perfect family, perfect relationship. The oneness of God is a unity of solidarity, not solitude. Speaking of solidarity, Drew is coming up, and he's going to get everybody together to pray the divine mercy.